Bada bing, bada boom. Oh, that was a crystal clear, crisp one today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week's podcast, I don't know what else to say other than the fact that I read a book. Yes, I did. Stephanie Sue read yet again another book, and this book is really different. This book, if I can recommend you any book, it's this book. It's called The Evil Within: The Crime That Shocked a Nation, the heartbreaking story of Becky Watts by her father. So this is written from the father of Becky Watts, Darren Galsworthy, and I have never read. A book in which, at so many points, I was crying on the couch. I at one point stood up and put the book down and just stood there in the middle of the living room, crying, sobbing. Why did I get up from the couch to sob? I don't know. And he woke up from a nap, like, "What is wrong with you? Why are you just standing over me, sobbing? What's about to happen?" I was sobbing in bed. I was just sobbing the whole time that I was reading this. And typically, I try to stray stray away from books that are written by. The victims' family members or the victims themselves, because I find that I already have a really hard time separating my emotions from crime cases. But this one, I mean, I just I had to, I had to read it, and I am so glad that I did. I mean, in a weird way, I'm really glad. So please pick up this book because this podcast is never going to do this book justice. There was a social media campaign behind this. This took place in 2015, so it's relatively recent, and it all ends with a 16-year-old girl, and she was kind of like a symbol in a lot of people's hearts because she was just so. Such a I don't want to say normal sixteen year old girl, but she was a girl that you could completely relate with. Like I know once I start telling you about her childhood, you're gonna be like, oh my god, that's like me. That's I relate to that. And so I think so many people had their hearts just torn up when they found out that she had been brutally murdered in her own room. Her body had been found in two suitcases, a plastic bin, dismembered in eight different parts. She had been decapitated,、Jesus. and then not too long after, there were about six people who were arrested. Two of them were family members. So this just—I mean, it—it. It I can't. I'm like getting angry and like frustrated and emotional all over again. So I'm just gonna start you from the beginning because we need to know everything from the get go. And it all starts with Darren, who is Becky's dad. Now Becky's dad, he grew up in the United Kingdom, and he didn't really come off from like a well-off family. They they weren't doing that hot, but he had his siblings. He had his fun, and everything was good. And by the time that he was in his twenties, he had already gotten out of like his first marriage with his high school sweetheart, and he was babysitting on the side. He was doing a lot of like engineering work. And he was just a hard worker. I think the whole thing that I can say about Darren is just freaking hard worker. That's Becky's dad, okay? And she, he meets this girl. When he's like in his early twenties, and her name is Angie. He was actually on the way out of his babysitting job, and she was on the way in. So she's like the next babysitter, <laughs> and they walk into each other, and it was just like this moment of electricity. That's how he framed it. I was like, "Am I reading a romance novel?" It was like it, he felt like he was struck by lightning the minute he laid eyes on her. He could barely speak. He was like, "Oh, I, I I'm Darren." She was like, "I'm Angie," and the electricity was just pulsating through his body. And he said it was just the strangest thing ever, and he knew that there was something special about her. So you're thinking, all right, easy, Darren. We get it. You're gonna marry her right now. I was so wrong, Darren. What the heck? Why'd you set us up like that? Have you have you ever felt that electricity? Yeah, I've been electrocuted before. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the only time. I, I don't even remember that, but I do know that I went to the hospital for like electrocuting myself very lightly. When you saw me, no? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Oh, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. I went to the hospital after I saw you for the first time. 
<laughs> so he was like electricity pulsating through my pod it was, I mean it was just a romantic moment but they don't get together he was married at the time she's in a relationship and he just carries on with his life what the fork Darren so he goes on and at 29 years old he meets a woman by the name of Tanya Watts and they start dating and it's just kind of like a whirlwind relationship he said he met her at a bar is he cheating no, he had already divorced his wife. And so oh. this is like, oh gosh, like seven years after his divorce. Okay. And he meets her at a bar. They have a couple of drinks. And he said, suddenly they were dating. And I was like, what? <laughs> suddenly they're dating and they're fighting just a lot, just nonstop fighting. But even with that, they had their first son together, February 19th of 1995. And I think what's really sad about this is that it would be Danny's 20th birthday when Becky was murdered on the day. So he was born. And just like side note, remember, this is really, really, I mean, Danny's really young. The whole family is really young. Danny is like less than a year older than me. This is crazy. So fatherhood really changed Darren. He starts working longer hours. And meanwhile, his relationship with Tanya was just not good. Like not good. He would come home from work. He would try to spend time with his son. And they would get into these crazy fights. Just yelling at each other nonstop. And then she would say, get out of the apartment. He would leave, sleep in the car. The next day he would go to work and then he'd come knock on the door like can i come in and it was just toxic he didn't want danny around it he tried to shield his son from the fights but there's only so much you can do so for the next two years i mean their life was just non-stop fighting non-stop working and finally darren was like i'm done I'm, enough is enough so one night he gets kicked out after a fight and he decides i'm not going back no, I'm going to stay with my friend. I'm going to get my own place and we're going to try co-parenting. So they arrange this whole um, so this whole thing. So he starts paying for child support, but he takes Danny on the weekends. So Tanya has him every single weekday and they still argued all the time. I mean, every time he picked up Danny, it was kind of an argument, except one day when Danny's like two, Tanya comes knocking on the door on the weekend. So Darren's taking care of Danny and he's like, what the heck? Like, why are you here? Are you here to yell at me? You can't kick me out of my own place. And she wasn't mad at all. She was actually really happy. Just like, can I come in? And they start, you know, talking and maybe they share. (laughs) You're like, what what is this about? (laughs) They share a meal together. No, there was no cyanide in the meal and they eat and eventually they end up having sex. After like two years and he immediately the next morning, Darren's like, ah, I regret this so much. Like, that's that's not what I wanted to do. And he's like, let's just let's just forget about it. Act like it never happened. Move on. A couple months later, though, he gets a phone call. It's hello. I'm Tanya's friend and Tanya's pregnant and you're the dad. (laughs) So he's like, what? (laughs) What just happened? I don't understand. And they're like, yeah, I mean, she told us you guys had a one night stand. Now she's pregnant. So there you go. And he did not believe this. He was like, there's no way in hell that that one, one little one night stand and she's pregnant. No, she's trying to hustle me. She's trying to get my money. She's trying to get two times the child support. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. So So he thinks that she set that night up. No, he thinks that she got pregnant from someone else and just didn't tell them and was just going to be like, oh, well, maybe it's Darren's. Mm. maybe it's maybelline we don't know Mm. like that type of moment and he was like there's no way i'm not paying child support for another baby that's probably not even mine so she gives birth to a baby girl by the name of rebecca and well she goes by becky rebecca becky watts and for danny he was like all right well i'm gonna take danny to the hospital because even if that's not my kid that's danny's little sister right so he should be a part of this so he drives danny to the hospital and he looks at rebecca 
And he just said, oh, my God, that's my baby. Like, he just immediately fell in love. I mean, she was so adorable. It was, like, overwhelming. I mean, he did have the thought in the back of his mind, like, what if I fall in love with her? And then some dude comes knocking on the door, like, don't touch my baby. Touch my yeah, baby. That's what I was thinking. You know how people say when they hold their baby? Yeah. The connection just forms? Yeah. What if somebody just put the wrong baby in their hand? Do they still feel that? That's what I heard. There are situations in hospitals where they accidentally yeah. swap the baby. Exactly. And then they're... They're like forming this connection. They're like, oops, sorry, excuse me, sir. Uh, sorry, this this one's yours. Yeah. And then he, they hold it again. They form, form that connection. <laughs> They're like, oh, oops. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> this is this one. I probably. Yeah. <laughs> He's just forming so much connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if we're going to feel it. Yeah. I hope so. I, I would be terrified if I'm holding my baby for the first time. Like, um, hello? <laughs> hello, potato. <laughs> Where's my connection? <laughs> I'm looking for one. <laughs> and so on the weekends, you know, Darren starts coming by to pick up Danny like he normally does. And Tanya one day is like, no, you're not doing this. You are not taking Danny unless you take your daughter Becky, too. He's like, that's not my freaking daughter. Now, she knew that he couldn't afford a DNA test at the time because, I mean, back then it was even more expensive. So he was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, fine. I know you just don't want to take care of this kid for the weekend. So let me take this baby. So he takes both of the kids in. And that's when he realized that she was his. I mean, she had the same eyes as him. She would just like smile up at him. And he was like, oh, my God, that's my baby. So he started raising them on the weekends. Now, when Becky is two years old, he goes outside. He's walking around around she's in the stroller he's got danny holding his hand and he bumps into angie the babysitter after like a decade the lightning strike ah, the lightning strike and he got struck by lightning again <laughs> and he said it was like the stars aligned and so immediately they start dating now it's been 10 years so angie has a kid of her of her own as well i mean it's been over 10 years i believe so she had a son from her like ex-ex-boyfriend by the name of Nathan and he was 12 years old. So Danny is four and Becky is two. I mean, that's a massive age difference. And during her last relationship, during Angie's last relationship, things were really dark between her and her boyfriend. And she felt like maybe it's not safe for my son to be here. So she had actually sent her son, Nathan, to live with his grandma, her mom. And, um, you know, after she got out of that relationship, she was looking to get Nathan back. And Nathan was like, well, mom, here's the problem. I made friends at school and there's no way there's no way I mean I'm 12 and my friends are my everything so I can't I can't do this I'll come see you on the weekends though so it just kind of worked out that he would spend the weekdays with his grandma and then come home to Angie on the weekends but Angie was I mean she was a crazy good mom I I don't have a kid so I can't say if I would do this for my kid but this is insane I don't think my mom would do this for me every single morning she would get up and she would walk five miles to her mom's house to pick up her son walk him to school walk back to her house and then in the afternoon she would walk back to nathan's school and then drop him off at her mom's house and then walk back home she couldn't afford a car and she couldn't afford a bus so she walked over 20 miles a day just to walk that kid to school and it's not like nobody else could walk him it's not like you know 
he totally could have walked, you know, with some friends or with his grandma, but she just wanted to do that for him. Like, that's how good of a mom she was. So it worked out that on the weekdays, it was just Angie and Darren alone in their relationship. And then on the weekends, it was absolute chaos because they would go and they would drive around Bristol, the United Kingdom. That's where this takes place, by the way, (laughs) in the United Kingdom. And they would pick up Nathan. They'd pick up Danny and Becky. And that was the whole thing. And even with these huge differences, Nathan and Danny immediately got along because they had a PlayStation. They could play video games together. So they were like, we're best buds. Nobody bother us in this room. Thank you. And Becky, she would just spend the entire time with the parents because she's two. So she's just like screaming the whole time. Now, meanwhile, Angie and Becky, they had a super strong bond from the get-go. Like there was, um, there's kind of like this saying that if you saw Angie, she would have these two little arms around her neck because Becky refused to go anywhere without her. She would just be dangling from her neck while she did house chores, while she did everything. She just held on to you know, Angie for dear life. It was insane. Now, Becky was maybe not the most lovable when she was two. Yeah, that's how Darren puts it. Like, maybe not the easiest kid to deal with. Like, she would have these crazy tantrums. So I think that just goes to show that they really did have a bond. It wasn't just like, oh, this is a cute baby. Let me show it some love. It was like, no, she loved Becky. Like, they would do these outings on the weekends where they would go to, like, these museums. And Becky, that was her time to shine. I mean, she doesn't she doesn't formulate words yet. So she's like, this is my go time. I'm going to go walk up into that museum. And I'm just going to scream bloody murder. I'm going to test out my lungs. Use this as my singing practice and just go at it and it would be so bad that people would have to come onto the intercom systems and say excuse me family with the angry toddler please escort yourself outside you're disrupting the museum and they would just get so embarrassed they would rush outside they did this all in a british accent by the way even the rushing outside (laughs) so they rush outside they sit becky on the sidewalk and they're like what is wrong with you becky like what's going on tell us please try to communicate with us and she would still scream bloody murder so darren's like you know what i'm done with this and he would plop down on the sidewalk right next to her and just scream bloody murder back like not yelling at her but just imitating her sounds Darren yeah the dad and she would just exactly (laughs) what I'm gonna do exactly and you know people are still walking in and out of this like museum and they're just like staring at them and Becky's staring at her dad like how how dare you and then eventually she would start giggling and she would be totally fine and they would try to go back into the museum again and that was just kind of how it was like really cute family but the issue came with Tanya I think that was like their main issue early in the whole family dynamic with Danny and Becky's biological mom Tanya they just weren't really on talking terms and sometimes things would be strange sometimes they would pick up the kids on a Friday and the kids would be wearing like these old torn up clothes and they'd be confused we just took you guys shopping last weekend. Why aren't you guys wearing your new clothes? We got you. We, we took you shopping because we didn't like these clothes on you. What's happening? And they would just shrug. One time Becky got into the car without shoes on. So he's like, do, do you not have shoes, Becky? So he rushes into the house to find her some shoes. And there were no shoes that weren't torn apart, that weren't old, that weren't messed up. So he would start confronting Tanya about it. And she would just say, listen, like pay more in child support or like leave. She I think she was really young and I think she was really stressed out about, you know, the responsibility of these kids. I think that's what was happening. I don't know for sure, but that's kind of the vibe that I was getting. And so one day they get a knock on the door, um, Darren and Angie, and it was a social worker. So they're like, what the heck? It was like a weekday. So they let them in and they're like, what, what, which kid is it? What's going on? What's happening? And they said, well, Darren, I'm sorry to inform you, but your kids have been taken into custody. 
like state custody. So Danny was five years old and Becky is three. And because Darren's name was not on her birth certificate, the social worker straight up told them, you're going to have to fight for custody. It's going to be a long battle. I mean, we think that Tanya is going to fight for custody. The state is going to see if she's fit. And then you're going to have to fight her for custody and the state. You have to prove to us that you're worthy of caring for these children. Like it's going to be an absolute shit show. So Angie, I mean, they're asking her too. And they're looking at her suspiciously. Like, why isn't your son living with you? And she's like, well, this is the arrangement that works for us. So they forced her to take these parenting classes. Now, like I said, Angie is a killer mom. Like, she's amazing. And so uh, she did so well in the class that afterwards they were like, hey, if you ever want a job, you could totally teach these classes. <laughs> like, You're really good at this. You're like a natural mom. Do you want to do you want a job? What? And they just kind of like laughed at it. Like, it was just so strange. And the whole time, I mean, they're spending so much time talking to the courts, talking to these like social workers, lawyers, and they had to explain to Nathan, who was 14 years old, why they were so busy with this. And they sat him down and they were like, it's because we're trying to have Danny and Becky come live with us full time because right now they're in foster care and we don't like that. And Nathan, he kind of liked the idea of Danny being around. He was like, yeah, you know what? That seems nice. Like we do play video games together. I like him. He's cool. But I don't want her to live with you, mom talking about becky she's so loud and annoying and they were like okay well nathan she's only a baby she's gonna grow out of it yes she cries all the time now but that's because she's like three okay and i mean there's an 11 age year difference you're gonna you're gonna be annoyed we get it like no one was alarmed by this they were like yeah this makes sense he's 14 year old boy he's annoyed by the crying now nathan was also slightly jealous of becky i think that this was kind of something that was happening in the early stages of this blended family once in a while he would get annoyed when becky grabbed at angie's hand he'd be like that's my mom like don't grab my mom's hand and they would have to remind him it's not because your mom loves becky more it's because becky is really young like becky's like two she can't do things on her own that's why we're you know showing her more attention so finally in 2002 the couple was granted full custody of danny and becky and it was just like this huge celebratory moment so on the weekend they're like we're gonna go pick up nathan we're gonna go hiking we're gonna go do all these crazy things like it's gonna be amazing and becky she's three she's never said a word yet which by the way some people were alarmed by like they were like why isn't she talking yet what's going on is she being abused like is that what's going on and then in that car picking up nathan like the first month of getting full custody her first word looking out the window when nathan came out of his grandma's house was nathan and everyone freaked out in the car that's her first word yeah like the parents or yeah angie and darren and you know her brother danny are like what say that again say that again and of course like most babies after they say their first word once you say say it again they won't say it again i don't know why that's like a thing (laughs) babies are rude they're like no i'm not gonna do that again thank you (laughs) coming for my ted talk that's it bye (laughs) and now now the house was chaos because becky was just crazy talkative once she started talking she would not stop talking and it got even more chaotic because she wanted a cat so they got her they got her a cat now this cat's entire mission was to fuck up the lives of everyone else but becky this cat hated hated everyone but becky i mean he would claw at people he would scratch people he would wait and then just pounce onto people's backs and not let go for whatever reason that this cat just hated everyone but becky but becky 
So everyone was like, this is a terror. I mean, this is absolute chaos in this house. And then Nathan would come over on the weekends and he was obsessed. There was a phase where he went through uh, toy figurines. Like he was obsessed with painting them. He would have these tiny little paintbrushes that only had like one little hair on them. And he would sit there for hours just meticulously painting these little figurines. And Becky, she would come over and be like, well, can I paint one for you? And she would just dunk the figurine into like a little plot of paint. And she would ruin it. And of course, Nathan's pissed. But the whole time, it just like you can't even get mad at Becky because it just seemed like she genuinely wanted Nathan to like like her, to be happy and to like want to spend time with her. Do you know what I mean? I, I know what you kid. mean, but <laughs> that is pretty annoying. Really? Because I'm that. T- I was that. You type can of see kid. it. You can see it from the other lens. Yeah, I can see I it mean, from I'm the like, other lens. Man, I've been working so hard on this figurine. It's and like you do everything to want to make someone like you, but for some reason, it's like so much goes wrong, and they end up hating you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and she was a hella spunky kid. Like she was intense. Becky was out of this world. So her favorite thing was uh, pudding. That was like her thing. After dinner, she gets pudding. So her goal was the pudding, not dinner. She didn't care about dinner. Fuck dinner. She cares about pudding. Now, one day, they don't have pudding at home. So she's like, what do you mean we don't have pudding at home? That's atrocious. And her dad's like, well, tomorrow you can have two puddings after dinner because you forgot a pudding today. It's like rolls over. And she's like, no, that's just not sitting right with me. So she grabs the phone and she's like, I'm going to call child services. He's like, you're going to what? This is abuse, dad you're gonna what and he starts laughing his ass off and she's like no i'll do it daddy i'll call them and tell them that you won't give me any pudding and he starts laughing even harder like what you're gonna call the police and tell them you need to be taken into foster care because i'm not giving you pudding and so then he would just laugh and laugh and then eventually she would be laughing on the floor and that's just kind of how like their family fights went are you envisioning this happy family right now because i really need you to feel it before i before everything goes down earth day why don't we try earth month okay that's so corny did you know that thrifting an item instead of buying it new reduces its carbon waste and water footprints by 82 percent show the planet some love by shopping at thread up which is an online thrift store with over 35,000 brands all up to 90 percent off of estimated retail value from gap to gucci you can upgrade your entire wardrobe without even coming close to breaking the bank seriously i mean they're like the best deals around today and you can get an extra 30 percent off your order at thread up dot com slash rotten here's the crazy thing i feel like people used to self-thrifting is you know you just go you enjoy your time but i never really enjoyed that it gets so sweaty in thrift stores i can't really try on a bunch of things and just to go through each rack and try to find my sizes i don't have to do that anymore it has become so easy you can actually shop from all of these thirty-five thousand different brands for women's kids clothing handbags shoes and more you can get these insane deals but you can also cater them to your style you can put in your size you can filter through them customize everything your budget so that you find the best deals instantly i mean i'm talking madewell and j crew for nine dollars zara for six dollars nike for six dollars a lot of the items they come in high quality condition i just got a zara top in that still had the tag on i think i only paid like eight dollars for it get the styles that you love at a fraction of the price you'll feel and look good with thread up and i'm telling you when you look good everything is easier you're like flying off the walls like yes i look good <laughs> and for rotten mango listeners here's an exclusive offer just for you get an extra 30 percent off your first order at threadup.com slash rotten that's t-h-r-e-d-u-p.com slash rotten for 30 percent off your first order threadup.com slash rotten for an extra 30 percent off today terms apply
Now, how close was Becky to Angie, you ask? Well, I'll tell you how close. So Danny, he was the only one that remained close to his biological mom. So, I mean, Darren wasn't really in contact with her. They didn't get along. And it seemed like Becky had kind of, I don't know, she wasn't forming memories at the time, but she genuinely thought that Angie was her biological mom. So one day she goes up to Danny and she's in a fight with Danny, her older brother. And she's like, well, my mom is better than your mom. (laughs) My mom's better than your mom. And Danny's looking at her like, are you kidding me? My mom is your mom. Becky, you're so stupid. She's your mom too, you idiot. And Becky's sitting around. I mean, the whole room is like stunned. They're like shocked. And she's looking around. She runs to her room. She's just crying bloody murder. And Angie spent the whole day in her room. Eventually, she comes out and she says, okay, so I figured it out. I have a mom and I have Angie and I love my Angie. And she just continued life on like that. Like, that's how close they were. So Nathan gets old enough. He starts babysitting the kids. And as Nathan gets older, he actually gets closer to Darren. So him and his stepdad become really close because Nathan never saw his biological dad. So it's like Darren really made an effort to be there for him. I mean, financially, emotionally, mentally, physically, he was always there for Nathan. He even suggested listing him into like the Boy Scouts, like the Army Cadets. And he felt proud of him at 16 years old. Darren actually surprised him with like a moped like a three thousand dollar moped what's a moped i think it's like a vespa god stupid american (laughs) they said it's like it's like one of those electric scooters that's not really like a motorbike or anything and so he surprised him for his 16th birthday with this moped and eventually after school you know nathan he gets trained as an electrician at the local college and then after college he would go on his moped and go to domino's pizza to be a delivery boy so he was working freaking hard and darren was proud he was like that's my mini me look at him go look at him go on his moped every morning him and angie would look at him right off in his moped and Darren would just look at him and say I raised him right like look at him go like he's working a job going to classes I mean he's gonna he's gonna have a great life in front of him and they were just so proud of him and then he started you know doing what some teenage boys do he started doing some strange things going on his first relationship with his girlfriend he was like an incredibly jealous boyfriend he would get insecure when it came to girls um like kind of just weird about it so after his first breakup the parents find out that he was acting really strange like he would park outside in front of his ex-girlfriend's house for hours just watching the house like i guess you could definitely call that a stalker and when the parents were like hey she called the cops on you why are you doing that he said well she owes me money well that doesn't matter that doesn't matter you you can't be a creep just because someone owes you money and for some reason they were like i don't even think she owes him money i think that he just wanted to like you know be possessive over her just like a major red flag incident okay Mm -hmm. and then the second one came when nathan he finally got his car Mm-hmm. So he's driving around in his car and one day he drives by and he meets Darren out in the driveway and Darren's like, what the fork? Because he saw four young girls inside the car. And when I say young, I mean, super young. So Nathan's 19 years old, but these girls could not have been older than 12. So he's like, uh, no, absolutely not. I do not know what's going on here, but this is freaking odd. Their children go back in that car and take them wherever you found them. Take them back to their parents. Nope, nope, not cool. So Nathan was like, uh, okay. And he got into his car and drove them back. So Becky starts getting older and she starts going to school. Now, side note, Danny, Danny is interesting in this story because he was, um, a very like easygoing person. So it didn't seem like there were any, um, major hurdles 
that the parents were facing with Danny in terms of like discipline. Like they didn't have anything to like yell at him for. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a ton of friends. He was always out of the house too with his friends. And then eventually at 16, he moves back in with Tanya, his biological mom. So that's why I'm focusing a lot on these two. So Becky, he, she starts getting older and she starts going to school and she really struggled to make friends. I mean, she is so outgoing and funny and witty with her inner circle, but she was just so uncomfortable with new people, with strangers. She was really anxious. So she had a, like a couple of good friends that she was fiercely loyal to but that was about it so she starts getting bullied in school for everything her clothing her weight her everything i mean there was this one time where she got this brand new jacket and they ripped it off of her just like bullying her and she would come home practically every day crying and it's just like what do we do and she would say to her dad why don't people like me dad why am i so fat and ugly she was 11 years old when she was having these thoughts so she started developing an eating disorder at 11 she started writing on a list and giving it to her dad and she said these are the list of foods that i'm gonna eat and nothing else and all of it was like ready to eat meals low fat meals like low calorie meals and he was just like what but if that made her happy he was gonna try so i mean this doubled their grocery bill and they weren't doing well but he would try he buy he bought these ready to eat meals and she wouldn't even finish her food she would secretly like dump it into the trash and he would yell at her and she would just say you're the one making me fat and like run into her room And she just started becoming obsessed. I mean, she looked at herself in the mirror every single day. She weighed herself nonstop. She would beg her dad to work out with her and do these boxing sessions. But she would like pass out. I mean, she would barely eat that day. And now she's trying to do this like strenuous exercise. Like, no, she would get so dizzy. She started missing school because she could barely like walk without getting a little bit lightheaded. I mean, it was bad. So the family reaction was swift. I mean, the parents, they did everything they could. They took her to doctors. At 12 years old, she was diagnosed with anorexia they took her to psychiatrists they were all worried they're just trying to get her to eat they're trying to make sure that she's healthy anything danny i mean it took a huge toll on him watching this happen to his sister it was around this time that like her eating disorder really ramped up that he ended up moving back in with his biological mom i think it was just a lot to see Mm-hmm. And I think there was just so much tension too in the house, mm-hmm. not just like, oh man, what's going on now? Nathan, he wasn't as sympathetic. He would kind of make fun of her sometimes and he would kind of taunt her and he would say, well, yeah, I guess you are fat. And it would just kind of hurt the parents. Like, why, why would you say that when you know mm-hmm. that she's going through this? But I think it's because maybe he wasn't around all the time. He was only around on the weekends and maybe he was just a blunt person. They just... They didn't know. And so they pulled him aside and they said, do not talk to your sister like that. Mm -hmm. He said, well, obviously she's doing it for attention. Stop giving her the attention and she'll soon stop all of this like anorexia stuff. I mean, look at her. She's enjoying the attention that she's getting. They're like, what? What is wrong with you? I mean, he's too old to be acting like this. He was 23 and Becky was 12. Oh my gosh. He's 23. 23 acting like this. They're like, get out of here. I mean, the doctors diagnosed her. I mean, no one does this for attention. Like you would, you're really sick and twisted to think people care about your attention, you know, that they would harm themselves. So they're like, no, get out of here. So they take her to the doctor and eventually they're like, okay, like she is losing too much weight to the point where legally, if she doesn't start gaining weight, the state might take her back. Because this is this is not a healthy environment. She is not healthy. Things are not going well. And that is when Becky freaked out. She said that the only place she feels safe is at home. That's the only place. I only feel safe when Angie and dad are there. I don't feel safe on my own. I don't feel safe on my own. And they, she also says, I don't feel safe with Nathan. And this was kind of confusing for everyone because, I mean, 
I mean, well, I guess it wasn't that confusing because he was kind of taunting her lately. And so her dad told her, like, you don't have to be scared of Nathan. He's your older brother. I get it. He makes fun of you, but he won't ever hurt you. Besides, if he tried, I'd protect you. Right? Right, Becky? And she looked at him and she was like, yeah, well, how would you be able to do that? You're getting older. And they just kind of laughed it off. Like, okay, like this is a lighthearted moment. So she was tasked with putting on a couple pounds a week and it was monitored every single week at a hospital. She would have to go in and make sure that she was gaining weight because she was getting really alarming underweight for her age group. And finally, by her 13th birthday, she was healthy, healthy weight, still boxing with the dad. I mean, she was getting really confident. She started buying clothes online. So her dad gave her a monthly allowance. Her favorite shop was Boohoo. So she was like, this is my favorite place. Starts getting into fashion, doing makeup. I mean, you would not see this girl without makeup on. Again, this is why I keep saying Becky was so relatable to so many teenage girls like this is pretty much life right and so you know she would put on makeup she would she got she went to school and at school she had this new reputation instead of being the girl that was bullied she hated when other kids were alone because of her experience so she would always spend time with those kids because it's always embarrassing to be alone you know and the school gave her an award for her mentorship and for being the most kind-hearted student Wow. And then eventually she had to drop out of that school and she was transferred to a new school for um, kids with medical conditions because, you know, sometimes when you skip too many classes because you're at the doctors or you've been, you know, put into a hospital. So she goes there and she really liked it. I mean, she made so many friends. She had uh, two really close friends. She made a boyfriend, Luke. But yeah, Luke, um, this was like the only guy that her dad approved of. He was like a perfect gentleman, caring, polite, everything. And when Becky was 15, something really traumatizing happened to the whole family. Angie woke up one morning and she starts screaming. She's like, Darren, Darren, what do I do? I can't see anything. I can't see anything. And he's like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? So he gets up out of bed and he's looking at her face and she's like, are my eyes open? And he's like, what? yes they are and so she's he's like it's okay it's okay calm calm down we just have to go to the doctor they go to the doctor her eyes are fine but she can't see so they have no idea but her eyes themselves are healthy they don't understand so they come back home several weeks later her eyes slowly start going back to normal but then another part of her body would shut down so they would rush to the doctor again and then turns out she has multiple sclerosis which I heard it's really, really hard to, especially even for people around you, it's, it's, you, your entire body just deteriorates. So it affects the nerves in the brain that's attached to like the spinal cord and it causes problems with your muscle movement, balance and vision. And there's really no cure. And what's worse with that is if you're in like stressful environments, it reflects in your body. It's like one of those where if you're stressed out, your body deteriorates even faster, which I think is, you know, common with most illnesses, but this is really intense. So she ended up being wheelchair bound most of the time. And this was taking a lot of stress on the family. I mean, taking care of Angie, Becky is a teenager. Nathan is unreliable at best. You know, Danny is a teenager. He's now living out of the house. Dad is working crazy shifts to put food on the table. I mean, it was just an absolute shit show. So then Nathan starts talking about how he had a girlfriend named Shauna. This was like a couple years ago, right? It's going to become relevant now. Shauna is an important person in this. So Nathan is like, well, I have a new girlfriend. Her name's Shauna, and I want you guys to meet her. So they're like, okay, bring her on over. So Darren meets them outside in the driveway. And before they can even come into the house, Darren's like, absolutely not. Mm -mm. Something is weird about this because, you know, Nathan's 21, but she looks not a day over 14. 
So he starts yelling at him like, uh, this is illegal. No, no, no. Why is she so dressed provocatively for someone who's 14? Like he was freaking the fuck out. I'm not letting this illegal activity in my house. And so he kept telling him, you know, Nathan's like, no, you don't understand, Darren. She's 19. She just looks young for her age. So he's like, "Okay, I don't believe you. Bring me a birth certificate. So they leave. They don't meet the family that day and they keep fighting about it for the next couple of years. And then finally, in 2010, he was like, well, I have her birth certificate and they look at it and she just turned 16. So she was 14 at the time. But technically, the age of consent in the UK is 16. So this is a completely legal relationship. It's almost like um, in the United States, like, oh, she's 18. Like, I guess that's how they yeah, would feel yeah, about yeah. it. So Nathan was still seven years older than her. I mean, this oh was really strange. God. But technically, Darren can't really not allow them to date anymore because it's legal. So he still kept his eye out on them, but couldn't deny them access to the house. They wanted to meet Angie and just Darren didn't really like them. He just felt like they kept giggling and whispering to each other while everyone was in the room. Like, that's kind of rude. But also, she was giving off weird vibes. He just said Shana's, Shana gives weird vibes. And this is kind of why. So Becky, like I said, she loves shopping. She loves boohoo. So she would spend her allowance on clothes. And if it didn't fit or if she didn't like it, she would offer the clothes to Shauna from her own allowance money. Are they similar age? Shauna is 16 and Becky is now probably like 14. Oh, yeah. They're very similar age. But I mean, when you're 14 and 16, that's like a million years apart. When I was 16, I was like, oh, my God, 14 is a baby. (laughs) remember when you're 16 you think you're like an adult and you're like oh my god you're 13 what a baby (laughs) and then you're like wait what (laughs) yeah so strange and so she would offer these clothes to shauna and it really bothered darren for a really good reason because i mean one time he saw her offering her a pair of jeans and shauna just like snatched them from her and said i'll take it off your hands if you like not even a thank you. Not even a, like, oh my God. Like, yeah, these are really cute. Like, can I try them on? Nothing. Just like, I'll take them if you like. And he was like, oh, okay, that's weird. So one day he overhears them in the kitchen. And, you know, Becky's like, well, do you want this leather jacket that I bought? Like, it doesn't really fit me. And tried to give it to Shauna. And Shauna goes, okay, I'll have it. But only because I'm doing you a favor. And he wow. gets so pissed off. He walked in there and he said, I heard that. Bex, he calls Becky Bex. Bex, take your jacket upstairs. It's not Shauna's. I paid for it and you're not giving it away. And so Becky, she takes the jacket. I mean, she looks super embarrassed. And Shauna is glaring at him, glaring. So he turns to her and says, if you're going to look at me like that, Shauna, you can get out of my house. You've got five seconds. Get out. Yeah, what is her fucking audacity? And so he goes back to Becky and, you know, she just kept telling him, I just want us to get along. I want her to be my friend. Uh, And he said that it just broke his heart. Like her desperation for friends, like really upset him. It just, it's just really sad. And so that is kind of when all the relationship issues with Nathan and Shauna start. So there's like so many phases to this family that just feels really normal. Right. Mm Because you always have like a kid that ends up dating like someone that your family is like, that's a bad influence. Oh, no. And they start changing and suddenly they're doing this. And you're like, wait a minute. And that was kind of what was happening with Nathan. I mean, he knew that he was a jealous person. And so did Shauna. So she like used it to manipulate him and control him and make him super reactive. She would straight up flirt with other guys in front of Nathan. Why? Just to get a rise out of him. 
just so he'd get super pissed and he started becoming incredibly possessive and controlling and shauna i mean she would just follow him everywhere then he would make her follow her everywhere they were constantly together it was like they were each other's shadow he stopped working he was diagnosed with fibromyalgia at the time which is a really really serious disease but um he just kind of really stopped doing everything i think the problem that the family had with it is not about his medical diagnosis because it's a serious one but it just seemed like he had this attitude about him that he felt like life owed him a comfortable living like he no longer cared about hard work and not saying that he needs to work really hard with this diagnosis you know but just he seemed like he seemed like everyone owed him money like that was the vibe do you know what i'm talking Mm. about yeah i guess just very negative outlook yeah and it's really hard for them to be understanding about his diagnosis when it's also like he's like demanding money from them you know it's kind of like this weird balance and he just became like this negative nancy cloud in their house all the time he stopped taking care of himself he stopped shaving he stopped showering i mean he smelled so bad the difference was such a shock to everyone and it became a suspicion in the whole family that he didn't want to work because shauna couldn't come to work with him and he wanted to keep his eye out on Shauna all the time. And he just got really rude and arrogant. One time he was in the living room and after Angie had walked away after saying something, he looked at Shauna and said, a fucking idiot. Like talking about his mom like that. What? Like what are you talking about? How old is he? 25? Yeah. And then Shauna gets pregnant. So now they're like, oh my God, we're stuck with her. <laughs> like we're stuck with this bitch. What can they do? I mean, the only thing that they can do is seriously welcome her to the family. And they were determined. They thought maybe, maybe parenthood changes these two people. They go from toxic to loving parents. Babies can do amazing things to parents sometimes, you know? And so they thought this would be this whole situation. And the whole family was stoked, especially Becky. Becky would talk nonstop to Angie about, oh my God, the baby would gonna do this is gonna be so cute and then nathan one time overheard this conversation and turned to her and snapped and said you're not going anywhere near our baby and they were like what the hell is wrong with you nathan so they just kind of like kicked him out of the house again and eventually they gave birth to the baby and also at the same time shauna started taking care of angie so angie she needed like a full-time caretaker and it was just hard for anyone else to do it i mean most of them were teenagers most of them had school and he had to work darren had to work so shauna she took the job and it kind of sucked she earned a little bit of money she could bring the baby to work but she sucked at the job i mean she would do a couple of dishes and that's it and she'd like done for the day where's my check i mean literally a useless person sorry and finally they decide to get married angie and darren decide to get married in the midst of all of this so like you and i need to finally walk down the aisle so he proposes he sold all of his like valuables so that he could pay for this wedding (laughs) and becky got involved she shopped for these wedding dresses these bridesmaids dresses i mean all of it and angie she got up out of that wheelchair and she slowly walked down the aisle and they had 200 guests at this beautiful ceremony and at the party they had this massive surprise so angie and darren they dressed up as Shrek and Fiona with like green body paint and everything. So right after their wedding, they slathered on green body paint and they came out to the party dressed as Shrek and Fiona. And every I mean, this was a surprise. So mm-hmm. everyone's like dying laughing. I mean, this was like the best time of everyone's life. Except Nathan. No, I mean, it was good for Nathan, too. He oh, was the okay, best okay. man. Okay. He was the best man. I mean, this seemed like it was the up and the family again. Everyone's getting back together. We're getting the band back together. That was the vibe. And then it started slowly going downhill because it seemed like Nathan and Becky, their relationship was just getting worse. I mean, the more confidence that she gained, 
the more he just didn't like it. He was just like, you're not that hot. You know, you're not that cute. You're not that cool. Like in some aspect, I can kind of relate to it being the younger sibling, but I can't. It started getting so bad that Becky complained that Nathan would just jump out of nowhere and just like grab her by the shoulders and like scare her and her heart would beat out of her chest and she hated it. She complained about it all the time. And of course, Darren and Angie are like, oh God, Nathan's, Nathan's always like that. But one time Darren actually saw it happen and he said it was weird. He said that it, he could understand why Becky was so alarmed by this. I mean, just Nathan was so scary, just jumped up behind her, grabbed her shoulders and screamed into her face. And she genuinely looked terrified. So February 17th, 2015 was the last day that Darren saw Becky alive. So Darren comes home from work. He hangs out with the family a little bit. And Becky decided, I want to have pizza in bed and I'm going to watch Jackass. That was like one of her favorite shows. So at three in the morning, Darren wakes up and he hears Becky's TV just like full volume. And he's like, oh, my Lord. So he walks over to Becky's room and turns it off for her. I mean, he's thinking to himself, how does anyone just even sleep with this type of noise on? And he looks at Becky and closes the door. And he said if he had known that this was the last time he would see her, he would have told her how much he loved her. He would have cuddled up beside her. He would have watched her sleep all night long. But he didn't know that. So instead, he went back to sleep for work tomorrow. So he wakes up. And when he gets home that day, because he doesn't really see his family. He wakes up really early. He works all day, you know, mm-hmm. gets up, gets ready, goes to work, comes home. And he's like, hey, where's where's the family? And Angie said, well, Becky's spending the night at her friend's house. So he's like, oh, OK, sounds good. So I feel like a lot of the times people are talking about how we need to raise the standards of people that we allow into our bedrooms, people that we allow into our beds, per se. And I just want to say something. I have been to a lot of friends' houses. I've been to my family's house, and we need to raise our standards for mattresses just all around. I have laid on mattresses that were just so unbearably uncomfortable. And I'm like, you spend eight hours a day on here? That's insane. This, This is not okay. And ever since I got my Helix mattress, I mean, sleep has been no joke for me it has been a game changer they actually have this quiz that just takes two minutes to complete and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you so why would you buy a mattress that's made for somebody else you don't want that because everyone's unique and helix knows that so for me example i am a heavy side sleeper i'm talking shoulders all the way Ooh, yes every morning i wake up my shoulders in pain not anymore so they have all these different models to choose from i mean they have soft medium firm and i have the helix midnight lux and it Okay, this is an award-winning mattress and it's known for being great for couples who have different sleep preferences and it just takes so much pain off of my shoulders, my hips, and all of my joints and it's actually like this medium firmness that I find to be perfect for me. It's a huge upgrade of what I used to have and delivery and setup was so fast and easy. So if you guys are looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again and it's awesome but you don't need to take my word for it because they were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com slash rotten and take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you with a customized mattress. They have a 10 year warranty and you get to try it out for a hundred nights risk free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering you guys up to $200 off of all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash rotten. That's helixsleep.com slash rotten for up to $200 off and two free pillows. 
So the next morning, he wakes up again and goes to work. And during that time, Becky came home and Angie saw Becky. So Becky came home and Angie had a doctor's appointment. So she's like, well, I got to go. Like, are you good? Like, do you need anything? And she was like, no, no, I'm good. Now, when Angie comes back, that's when everything's different. She saw Nathan's car in the driveway and Shauna and Nathan were inside with the baby. And they're like, well, where's Becky? Shauna's like, oh, I think I think I heard her leave. I think I heard the door slam while I was like smoking a cigarette outside. So she's like, oh, well, she's probably with a friend. I mean, typical teenager behavior. Nothing weird here. And then a few hours later, Becky's boyfriend shows up. So Luke is like, hey, have you guys seen Bex? Like, it's strange. She's not texting me. We were supposed to meet up today and I haven't gotten a response yet. So she's like, no, I haven't seen her. Maybe she's with a friend. Maybe she's sleeping over at a friend's house. So Darren comes home and he sees that Nathan's car is in the driveway. He walks past the car and they leave at around 7 p.m. And that is when Angie tells them that, you know, I think Becky is with her friends again tonight. I don't know what's going on. I haven't seen her all day. But again, it's not like the craziest thing in the world. This did not strike alarm in a lot of people's minds. Everyone was really casual about this because it's kind of something that was commonplace. So the next day, Darren's at work. Now, at this point, it had been multiple days since Darren had last seen his daughter but it's not that alarming yet but Angie calls him in the middle of the morning and says I do not want you to freak out I do not want you to panic but all of Becky's friends are here nobody has seen her since Tuesday morning and I cannot get her to pick up the phone nobody knows where she is I already called Tanya I called her brother Danny and I have no idea have you heard from her and he freaks out. So he rushes home and the whole, I mean, all of her friends are there. So she's got um like three, four really close friends and her boyfriend. So they're all there like confused. I mean, we, she wasn't with me. She wasn't with you. And she's not the type to have a lot of friends. Like this is her friend group. She mm-hmm. doesn't have any other friends. Who would you be with? So they kind of pinpoint the time. She had disappeared anywhere between 11.15 a.m. and 12.45 p.m. when Angie came home from the doctor's appointment. So Angie was gone. Literally, nobody else had seen her since. I mean, Nathan and Shauna, they arrived with the baby, but they didn't see her because it's not the type of household where everyone is just like, who's at the front door? Like, mm-hmm. they all have their keys. They come and go, and it's just kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. Shauna remembers hearing the door slam, and Becky's room had music on, but the music stopped, like, before the door slammed. So mm-hmm. she just assumed Becky left. I mean, that's a that's a regular assumption, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing strange. So the friends, they rush into her room and they realize that nothing has been taken. Like if Becky were to run away, she would never go anywhere without her makeup. She always had a purse on her. All of her purses were here. She left all of that. But she she was missing a phone and a laptop. Strange, because Becky never takes her laptop anywhere. I mean, that's like a weird thing. A laptop is really specific to leave, you know, to take with you. So they freak out. They call the police. They start going door to door, asking the neighbors, have you seen my daughter? You know, Darren asked Nathan to help him put something on Facebook. So they pick out a picture of her. They they say, please share. Missing 16-year-old girl. Please private message if you have seen her or know anything. And eventually, hashtag find Becky came about. And eventually, you know, the police come talk to the family and they're a little bit frustrated because nobody has seen her. Nobody knows who she left with. Did she did she leave with someone? Did something happen? What's going on? So they started leading on the side of a runaway. And Darren was so pissed at this. He was like, no, like she would never. You just don't understand. This is not what's happening. And his mind started racing at what could have happened. It got so bad. So he first started leaving these voicemails on Becky's phone saying, hey, Bex, it's your dad. Please call me. Hey, Bex. Hope you're doing okay. Like, I miss you. Call me. We're worried sick about you. And then eventually his mind started racing to the fact that she would not have left on her own. She's not with her friends. 
oh my God, she's been kidnapped. And so he started screaming voicemails saying, if you have my daughter, let her go or I will kill you. Let my daughter go. I want my daughter back in one piece. I will kill anyone who hurts my daughter. I promise you, I will get to you. And when I do, you're dead. And Angie is just like bawling her eyes out because it's like, I mean, this man is like falling apart. He is falling apart. And he start, He kept making promises to Angie. He says, don't you worry, Angie. She's going to come home and I'm going to never tell her to clean the room. I'm going to never yell at her again. I will spend the rest of my life making sure that she's happy. And Angie had to keep reassuring him. It's okay, babe. She knows that we love her. She knows that we love her. She's going to come home. And so Darren, all four of his siblings, they come over ready to go. They are not leaving until they do something. So they start printing out flyers, not stop all day the printer is running his four siblings they grab their significant others they grab their friends they grab their significant others friends and they just start handing them out all over bristol united kingdom and all their friends got involved they started giving out flyers to people who were stopped at red lights on in incoming traffic every time darren handed out a flyer he made a point to make eye contact with that person because he wanted them to understand how important it was that we find becky and i mean all of bristol was freaking out They cared a lot. I mean, they really rallied behind him. A lot of them would come up to him and he would hand them a flyer and they would just give him these big hugs and they would say, I hope you find her. They started doing these crazy searches and they said shoulder to shoulder, meaning that they were going to go out into these wooded areas, go shoulder to shoulder Mm -hmm. and walk and search. And it was just, I mean, he was so thankful that everyone was just you know, coming to rally by his side. And the police started urging him to do like a press conference and he would start talking to press and he kept telling them, I mean, this is how anxious she is. She won't even ask for a bus ticket. She would rather walk home than get on a bus and ask the driver for a ticket. That is how shy, that is how reserved she is. She didn't take anything, her clothes, her toothbrush, everything that she loves is here. She did not run away. So the police, I mean, they start kind of amping up the search they start searching all of these local areas these neighborhoods and all of the wooded areas they actually even searched neighbors gardens and like outhouses like sheds in the vicinity and they couldn't find her anywhere darren kept feeling like she had been kidnapped and he also felt like she was raped for some reason so he had this um this thought that popped into his head Middle of the night. I mean, the dude has not been sleeping. He lost 40 pounds during most of this. Just could not even keep anything down. He was living off like a couple sips of coffee and soda a day. And uh, he remembered, oh my God, she was on her period when she went missing because I picked up tampons from her, from, from the store. Which, I mean, that's how close they were. Like, that might be weird for a lot of like dads and daughters out there. But for him and her, this was normal. She was so open with him. And he made this desperate plea on Facebook that said, if anyone sees unexplainable blood on your son or husband's underwear please call the police please report it i mean imagine what would you do if this was your child and the newspaper immediately the next day they called it disturbing message from father of becky like those were the headlines and he was furious now he says looking back yeah it's a little odd but at the time when you're so desperate like it just makes sense in your head You're just like, this makes sense to do. And so they start doing all these crazy, crazy searches. And the police's main concern is there have been no reported sightings of Becky since that day. Not one neighbor saw her get into someone's car. Not one neighbor saw her leave the house. Not one person saw her on the road. Not one person or CCTV had seen her. There was there was not even a sighting of her at a gas station, not even a town next to them i mean Mm -hmm. usually with runaway cases whether verified or not people will call in and be like oh yeah i saw her like three towns over you know she's hanging out with some bad kids nothing i mean strange 
So they start questioning the family. And Darren was super pissed about this. He was like, what the fork are you doing? Get out there and look for my daughter. Don't look at us. We've been doing the most to bring her back home. We, yes, we're a blended family. And he kept saying, just because we're a blended family doesn't make us a different family than yours. Like, you know, this DNA doesn't mean anything. We are a family that loves her and we're looking for her. Go out there and find my daughter. And he was so frustrated. And eventually the family was actually kicked out of the house so that they could do sweeps of the entire house to try to find evidence of, you know, where she went, which was just even more infuriating. So he's like staying at these hotels. And meanwhile, the police, they continue their questioning of the family members. And I'm going to get back to it. But at the hotel, Angie gets a call from the police department. Mm-hmm. And they're both looking at each other like, yeah, yeah, here we go. Same old bullshit. They're going to be like, yeah, we're still looking, guys. We're still looking. Keep your heads up. We're looking for Becky. But this time her face looked different. So she hangs up the phone and Darren's like, what happened, Angie? Tell me what happened. And she starts crying and she says, Darren, they arrested Shauna and Nathan. What? So at first they both start raging. I mean, this is bullshit. It's so typical, typical of police to go after the easy targets, go after the family instead of doing their actual forking job. So typical. Oh, they're just so wrong. They're completely lazy that's what they are and then eventually they get a knock on the hotel door and it was their um like police liaisons i guess you could call them like the officers that were talking to them about the whole case the whole time and they said there is no easy way to tell you this but the situation has escalated to murder we just discovered a body at a house in barton hill i'm so sorry and he's like okay well i get it but that's that's not her you know that's not her I'm really sorry, but it is her. We took a DNA sample from Becky's toothbrush and it matched. The body parts matched. I mean, they absolutely lost it. Darren ran into the bathroom to throw up and he hadn't eaten anything and he just started dry heaving. He he started punching the walls. He started throwing things at the wall, which honestly, I am not a fan of people punching walls, but I can't imagine anything less in this situation. Like someone murdered this one important person and you're like what are you talking about you know Mm -hmm. and the police tell him the body was found at a man's house his name is carl demetrius apparently he's a friend of nathan's becky's blood was detected on the door frame outside of her bedroom and nathan's fingerprints were also there when we arrested him he confessed and told us where the body parts were we searched the property and they were there he and he also admitted to being responsible for her death what so now this is where it gets really complex and this is where i could just i like i can't i still can't wrap my emotions around this he just kept screaming that fucking bastard like what the fuck was he doing what made him do that i'm gonna forking kill him and everything started falling on him and he was like oh my god that's why there's no signs of becky out of the house she never left the house she was killed in the house when shauna and nathan left they said that she left but nobody saw her leave so he starts, I mean, the grief and the betrayal, he said the betrayal was crushing. And then there was like the self-blame. He kept calling himself the stupidest man on the planet because how, how, like what? He couldn't think of a single reason why Nathan would do any of this. He raised Nathan like he was his own family. He supported him financially, emotionally for more than a decade. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. This was the best man in the wedding. And he wanted to comfort Angie because Angie's sitting there and she's, I mean, she's been obliterated. Her own son did something so terrible to a girl that she considered her own flesh, like her own daughter. And he said... So he 
Darren doesn't feel resentment towards Angie. Well, that's where it gets so complex. Okay. So he said that he wanted to comfort her, but what do you say to comfort the woman you love when her son has just admitted to killing your daughter? It was just too much to take in. And he kept saying things like, how are we ever going to get through this? After what he said, I'm going to kill him. That's for sure. If I ever get close to him, I will end him. He will not get away with this. And she said, Darren, I can't listen to you go on about him like that. He's still my son. Whatever he's done, how do you think I feel knowing that he's done this to our family? So when she said that, he felt like, I mean, whatever he's going through, she was going through it 10 times worse. And I think what's really important here is that they weren't just a regular blended family. I mean, he knew, everyone knew that Angie treated Danny and Becky like her kids. Mm -hmm. There was no doubt about it. There was not even a question of love. She Mm -hmm. loved those babies to the end and back, you know, Mm -hmm. and knowing that her son was like the person who did all of this. I mean, it was just so complex. And Angie started becoming so worried because she was worried about their marriage. I mean, she leaned on him. Yeah, emotionally and for love. But he also was her primary caretaker. I mean, she's really, really sick. Mm. So he she one day asked him, are you going to leave me because of him? And he straight up told her, of course not. I would never blame you for what he's done. I love you. You're my soulmate and I'm not going anywhere. I can't be without you. Don't be silly. So now let's backtrack to how they arrested them. So they're doing all these searches. The police start questioning the family. And when they started questioning Shauna, that's where things were strange. I mean, it almost seemed like she was giggling. Like she just seemed so chill in the interrogation. Every other family member, they were just dying they were like, I, I need Becky back. Like, oh, please, hurry, do something, right? But Shauna, she was just chilling. I mean, fine. They're not blood relatives. They barely know each other. But Nathan was also super relaxed. Just chilling. Just almost like he didn't even care that his sister that he grew up with, his half-sister that, you know, he's seen grow up since two years old is missing. Like, just not a care in the world. So that's when they go back into the house to do more testing. And they found blood outside of Becky's room along with the fingerprints near the blood. Now, this is where it gets really weird. The fingerprints were almost in the blood. So um, tiny bits of blood outside the wall. You could barely see it. It was like um, on three different levels, which indicated a fight happened. So it's not even just like one if I had a bloody like paper cut. Mm-hmm. It was like three different levels and the fingerprints were like in, in the blood. So mm-hmm. it's not that, oh, well, Nathan lives in the house. He would have fingerprints all over the house. It's like, no, no, no. It was in the blood. So if the blood came back as Nathan's, then there's not really much you could say. He could say that he hurt himself. He fell over the hallway, you know, touched the walls. But if it was in Becky's blood, if it was Nathan's fingerprints in Becky's blood, I mean, he's going to be arrested. Mm-hmm. So they tested it and it was a match for his fingerprint And it was a match for Becky's blood. So they arrested the couple for kidnapping and they start questioning the shit out of the couple. And uh, they start searching the couple's house, which was completely cluttered. I mean, an absolute mess. This was like hoarder central, like just things all over the place. Disgusting. It looked like that house had not seen a Clorox wipe since the beginning of the whole entire thing. And they could not find Becky in there anywhere. But what they did find, something very strange. The upstairs bathroom, disgusting. Everything, I mean, piles of clothing on the sink. You could barely see it. I don't even know how they sat down on the toilet. I saw a picture of this. But there was just hangers and like mops and stuff propped up against. It was just claustrophobic and just really bad. But the bathtub, shining, Mm. sparkling. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, I mean, this is not a cleanly freak couple, you know, they're not like Uh, clean freaks. They're not, you know, 
they're nasty. I mean, I the whole see. house looks disgusting. That's but a very good detail. Yeah, but this bathtub, I mean, you, you could probably be safe looking at it. Like, that doesn't make sense. And then so they, they washed off and yeah. they cleaned the whole tub mm-hmm. from any blood. Like, no mildew, nothing. Mm. Just sparkling. So they're like, weird. So they start searching more. I mean, they're going through every little thing now. And they find two very suspicious receipts from like home. Like, I would call it like a Home Depot in the UK. Like a chain of those. And um, for a lot of weird things. Like a saw. Gla- like goggles all of that so they they you know approach the couple and they give them an address nathan gives them the address where they find the body just like that they get, they they started to talk nathan just well nathan did shauna said she has no idea shauna says if he did something i have nothing to do with it and nathan said shauna has nothing to do with this it almost seemed like he was protecting her it almost what? seemed like the police was like here's the evidence and nathan was like i did it all and shauna did nothing it's weird. But why would he do that? See, that's where like the weirdness comes in. We don't really know. So they had to go into the morgue to ID the body. And um, they're in wheelchairs, Angie in. And they see her laying there with a blanket covering up. And her face, I mean, she, they said that she looked unbearably young. I guess when she's so like vulnerable in a situation like this, they said that she looked no more than 12. Her skin was just pale. Her lips were blue. I mean, her face had bruises on it. So did her knuckles. So it seemed that she tried to fight back. So Angie, when she's not looking, Darren decides to lift up the blanket because he was a little bit confused. I mean, they kept mentioning dismemberment and body parts, but she seemed like the full outline of a body was here. It didn't make sense. And he lifted it up. And the reality was, and I quote, she was a human jigsaw puzzle. Oh, my God. Her neck was covered in um, band-aids, like bandages, like those, um, you know, those white ones. Yeah. But on the right side, one of the bandage parts had slipped down and he saw that her head had been completely detached. So they had, for the respect of the family, they had tried to kind of put her body back together. And her wrist had bandages on them, meaning that they too had been severed at the wrist. And she was just bound up like a mummy. That's what he said. And immediately after he left, his heart just turned into rage And on their way out, he said the most horrific thing that he could think of to his wife. He looked at her and he screamed at her. You gave birth to a monster. Your fucking son is going to die when I get my hands on him. I'm going to fucking kill him. And he knew that this was unfair. But like in that moment, he was just he didn't know what to do. And he kept telling her, I don't know if you can accept this or not, but I'm going to kill your fucking son and that girl that he's with. And she said, do what you have to do, but don't tell me about it. And there was another instance where he said, this is all because of your bastard son. If it wasn't for him, Becky would still be here. That boy, or should I say monster, you still love, says he killed my girl. How can you say you still love him after what he's done to us? I wish your son was dead, not my Becky. And after saying all of that, he sunk to his knees and begged her for forgiveness. He just felt like he didn't mean to take it out on her. I mean, I'm sure he was like so disgusted with himself. And he just kept telling her, I feel like I'm losing my mind. I just miss her so much. 
And so that's kind of when he started doing something a little bit more productive. So Becky had um, laid out this sketch of how she wanted her room redid. She was like, Dad, here's the bill. So she had drawn her bed and the exact like color of sheets she wanted, like a complete HGTV moment. And so he wanted that sketch to become reality. So he spent all of his energy just fixing her room to the sketch that she wanted. Like everything, she wanted this type of clock. He got her that type of clock. And as he was doing all of this, he started talking to her and he said yeah it sounds crazy but it was kind of like a release just hey bex you like this over here you know oh i like this color bex like that's why i got this one just started talking to her and that cat that used to sleep with her every night refused to go into her room after that day would not enter her room no matter what oh my gosh so once you know the police and the community really found out about this they called her Bristol's Angel and over 400 people came to do a balloon release for her. So they um, they started a fund to pay for her funeral. They released these balloons into the air and Darren's sister helped prep the funeral and it was, it was beautiful. They had this white carriage with white horses that would um, carry her her coffin to the church where they were actually married at that was like her happiest moment so the ceremony had to be there it was actually the same reverend that married them that was going to do her um funeral service yeah and at the end of the funeral they would release a single white dove and it would kind of be like her prom and her wedding and all of her birthdays and all these special events just kind of in one and over 500 people lined the streets to wave Becky on her way to church and they showed up with pink roses, which was one of her favorite colors. 500 people just watching the carriage go by. And then once they got there, there were close to 500 people who showed up for the funeral. I mean, this was straight up Bristol's angel. And on his way out, there was this young boy after the funeral. Darren was on his way out and he saw this young boy who was just like sobbing. So he's like, "Okay, like what's going on? Like there's a child sobbing. He's like Becky's age. What's happening? And he told Darren, that he was having a really hard time making friends in school and Becky was his friend so that he didn't feel alone. And he was just like crying his eyes out at the I gotta cry. So Angie, I mean, she was feeling a lot of these emotions and she just wanted to see Nathan, not because she wanted to like see how he was doing, but she wanted to ask him why. Look me in the eye and explain to me why you would do this. And she felt like she was one of the only people that could see right through his lies. Whatever he's telling the police, she doesn't believe it. She needs to see him say it. Mm -hmm. And she was told by his attorney that he did not want to see her which just like broke her even more. And then um, later she would get an, a letter from him and it was a shitty note that the they didn't want to give to her until after the trial was over. And it said, and I quote, hello mom, I was just told that you wanted to ask me a question of why and I know you're going to be very confused amongst other things. Sorry, but I've been advised not to talk about my case at the moment as what I can say can be misinterpreted, but I hope you can find some even if it's like a minuscule amount of resolution and help by me explaining to you that what has happened was not meant to. Love you. What? Like just a casual like, hey, hope you find some peace in the fact that I didn't mean to kill and dismember someone, especially like someone we both love, like someone that should be a family member, but like, oopsie. Hope you can find some peace in that. He never talked to the mom? Never. During the entire trial, he never once looked at his mom, never once looked at Darren, nothing. So the trial took place October 6th of 2015, and everyone was shook because the prosecutors opened with their statement revealing the motive because everyone was like, what's the motive? None of this makes sense. 
and they said that Becky's death was the result of a plan by Nathan and Shauna to kidnap her. They took like a kidnap kit Mm-hmm. to kidnap her that included a large bag a taser handcuffs tape he was wearing a mask when he walked into her room and they believe the prosecutors believe that there was sexual motive between the couple's shared unnatural interest in attractive teenage females and you don't want to know what's the worst part about this darren didn't know any of this until the trial happened they couldn't reveal any of this to him mm-hmm. so he was sitting in the courtroom when he first heard all of this what like if you read the book i mean it sums up his feelings his sister even wrote a chapter just talking about because she had to run out of the courtroom multiple times to go vomit like it gets that bad and just like all of the feelings if you guys follow me on youtube then you know my favorite thing to stick inside of my ear holes is my raycon my raycon wireless earbuds are something that i am constantly sticking into my ear to enjoy the great pleasures of and i think the main reason that i find that they are so different from other premium earbuds in the market is that well first they're half the price but secondly every time that you order a pair of earbuds they come with like these little silicone inserts for different sizes because everyone has different size ear holes and i have found that every Every other wireless earbuds on the market, they're either too big for my ear or they're too small, they fall out, but my Raycons fit perfectly. So if I'm running on the treadmill, I never have to worry, is one going to fall off? Like, am I going to lose it forever? If I'm doing errands, I never have to worry about any of that. So whether you guys are catching up on your favorite podcast, this one, binging an audiobook, powering through your workout, or pumping through a playlist, a pair of Raycons in your ears will make all the difference. I mean, there's no dangly wires or stems to get in the way here, and they they come in a range of stylish colors, but also with a comfortable in-ear fit for a more discreet look. They're built to perform anywhere and anytime. They've got that water and sweat resistant construction and Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly. They've got enough battery life for six hours of playtime. The best part is that Raycon makes great sound accessible to everyone with wireless earbuds starting at half the price of other premium audio brands. So Raycon's offering 15% off of all their products for my listeners. And here's what you've got to do to get it. Go to buy Raycon run. That's it. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash rotten. Buyraycon.com slash rotten. So they said that they brought these tasers to the house and the tasers were actually bought under Shauna's name a month before the murder. Now, mind you, Shauna said she has no idea about what happened. She says, oh, if he did something, that's like up to him. That's not me. That's all Nathan. I didn't do anything. I don't even know her like that. That was like the whole vibe that she was giving. But the tasers were bought under her name. Mm -hmm. Now, they said that they went into her room and they strangled her, which was her cause of death. She asphyxiated and they didn't do it with like a bag. They didn't do it with anything. They actually did it by um, covering her face, like shoving fingers into her nose, covering her mouth in the most brutal way that you could think. And Nathan actually went on to tape her eyes shut and punch her in the face multiple times because Becky did not go down without a fight. I mean, Becky had bruising all over her knuckles. She fought hard and he kept punching her in the face. Wait, 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 wait. So at that point, they weren't trying to kill her. That's what they claim, but no one believes it, you know? So they are saying that they're just trying to kidnap yeah. her while just kind of suffocating her and punching her in the face. Yeah. Just for her to pass out. Yeah, handcuffing her, all of that. 
which just doesn't make sense. And the suffocation was really, really intense. I mean, she had 14 cuts and bruises to her face. It was consistent with hands being forcibly placed all over her face, consistent with being punched, all of that. They took her phone, they took her laptop, and they cleaned up anything that was apparent that a struggle had taken place. And they put her inside this bag. Okay, well, I can't say they, but Nathan put her inside this bag and put it in the trunk of his car. Do you guys remember when I was telling you early, Angie yeah. came home, walked by Nathan's car. Darren came home, yeah. walked by Nathan's car. Becky was in that trunk each Dead. time a family member walked by. At that point, they already know. Yeah, and they said, dead. oh, I don't know. I think she left. No, 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 they know that she's dead. Yeah, they know that she's dead. And they said, oh, I think she And they just left. hung around the house. Hung around the house. Played Monopoly. Yeah. No. Giggled with the baby and then just left. Hung around the house. So they get home. They drive back home. Dead body in the trunk. They order Chinese takeout. I mean, just cold-hearted killers. And Nathan confessed that he only wanted to kidnap her. He only wanted to put her in the bag, take her to the woods while she's alive, and talk to her in this like deep voice because I've got a mask on. Tie her to a tree and tell her that she needs to be better to her parents, especially my mom. So he's trying to say that the whole thing, the whole plan was him trying to get her to be nicer to Angie, his mom that he loves so much. But instead of kidnapping her in the struggle of trying to kidnap her, the mask fell off and she recognized him. So he panicked. And so he just wanted to strangle her so that she wouldn't fight back, just suffocate her so that she loses consciousness. That's it. But ended up killing her. So he was like, oh, my God, what do I do now that I've killed her? I got to place her in the bag, put her in my trunk, wait for Shauna to fall asleep once we get home. And then I'm going to take her body into the upstairs bathroom and I'm going to dismember her. So the day after the murder, they were caught on CCTV buying two bottles of drain cleaner because um, Nathan said that he saw it on CSI that you could dissolve a body with drain cleaner. Don't do that. That's dumb. No, but really don't do that. And a power saw, gloves, face masks, goggles. And he also asked the employees about the pricing as if he's just casually doing yard work. Nathan and Shauna were both caught on TV also buying black trash bags, a bunch of like plastic sacks, rubber gloves, three big rolls of like plastic cling film like the plastic film and the dismemberment she was taken inside that bathtub and she was stabbed 15 times in the stomach after she had died uh nathan said he wanted to drain her body of blood he also saw this on some sort of show and then he dismembered her with a power saw on eight different locations and he wanted to use the drain cleaner to dissolve her body but it didn't work So the prosecutors, you know, they're asking her, like, how did you feel while you're dismembering your sister, like your half sister that you grew up with, that Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, she knew you for like her whole life. How how did you feel? Mm -hmm. He said, I just did it. I tried not to look. I did it like like I just it was surreal. That was the only way I can explain it. I was just doing what I had to do to protect everyone else. Stop them from finding out that she's gone. He said to protect everyone else. Then he dismembered the body parts, meticulously packaged them, carefully wrapped each body part in cling film along with cat litter. So the cat litter absorbs moisture and table salt, like crystal salt as a preservative so that it wouldn't get smelly. Wrapped it up, put it in plastic bags, taped it again, and then put it briefly into the freezer so that blood would like dry up or something. And then put it into three different, um, no, four different things. A blue plastic box, two black suitcases, and a sack. So he really wrapped it up. Really, meticulously. 
Then he calls up his friend, Carl Demetrius, who, by the way, was arrested. So there's four like minor players who were arrested as well and tried. And he calls up his friend and he says, hey, I know you have a shed. I can pay you $10,000 if you help me move this um, just a bunch of items from my house to yours and hide them. If anyone comes looking, don't you dare show them and don't you dare look at it. So Carl was like, $10,000? Yeah, let's do it. So him and his buddies, there was a James, a Jaden or something. Um, we'll get into that later. But anyways, these four dudes, they start helping put the packages in the shed. And they just, they claim that they all thought it had something to do with a robbery. They claim that they did not know it was body parts, that it was just something they stole from a place and they were just holding on to it. And then, you know, why else would you pay them $10,000? Maybe you were going to sell it later for a lot more. Maybe it was, maybe it was drugs. They don't know. They just said that they didn't care. They just wanted the $10,000. So that's where the body was found. Right next to the shed by the door were all of the the boxes, essentially. And the medical examiner talked about it. And they said that the police, once they first got there, because that's where they were given the address by Nathan, they get there, they look at it, and they see all these plastic cling filled stuff. So they grab one of them. And the police officer is just kind of like, what's in here? It looked like like the size of a rugby ball. So he's kind of like moving it about like it's kind of squishy, but there's also something hard like it's confusing. So he starts unwrapping it. And that's when he realized it was her hand clenched into a fist that was severed at the wrist. Oh, my God. They found her head in the suitcase that was severed, covered in plastic wrap. Wait, it was just hanging out? Just yeah, in the shed inside of those boxes. So he opened up the box and grabbed it. They didn't even bury it. They didn't even. No, just in the shed. Wow. And um, then he found her decapitated head along with her left arm, right hand, and her right leg. Another bag had clothing and then a plastic bag that said, ironically, because she was murdered on Danny's birthday. It said, it's my birthday, wacky warehouse. Like, I don't know. It's just like a plastic bag that said that, like a party bag. And a white shower curtain. And underneath it was a human torso. They also recovered bloodstained goggles knives and handcuffs so they're trying to ask nathan you know on because both of them testify and they're like what what, what is the point of this what, what so you thought that you could just kidnap your half-sister gag her handcuff her tie her to a tree in the woods terrorize her and you thought that she would just walk off and live her life like do you live in a fantasy world if you did that your parents would murder you you know like that doesn't make any sense and he said that i was doing a drastic thing to have a good end result he kept saying that beth becky was so mean to his mom and he couldn't he couldn't deal with it anymore. So he had to teach her a lesson and he ended up accidentally killing her. That's what he kept saying. And so they're like, have you ever expressed any remorse or sorrow to Becky or or her family about what you did to her? Well, well not directly. No. I mean, I haven't tried to like contact any of them, if that's what you're saying. This is on court. Yeah. Do you just feel sorry for yourself? I feel sorry for myself, but I feel sorry for everybody. Can you can you believe that someone straight up said in court, I feel sorry for myself? I'm sorry. No, this is a murder trial. Someone has been brutally murdered. You don't get to feel sorry for yourself, you idiota. That doesn't even make sense. So they both deny Shauna's involvement in all of this. And Shauna, I mean, there's so much evidence against her. They look up her phone records and she looked up on YouTube a video called Do You Want to Hide a Body? Which is a parody of Do You Want to Build a Snowman? from frozen so i guess they're playing off that song so they're like do you want to hide a body like i guess one of those songs and when she was asked about it she said oh no i had no idea that someone died i just like thought it was hee hee ha funny 
and I showed it to Nathan. They're like, the same day that you guys are trying to hide a body? Um, what? So Shauna's DNA was also found on a face mask inside of the shed that was along with, you know, Becky's remains. Mm -hmm. Shauna's DNA also found inside of a trash bag and a t-shirt found at the same shed, you Mm -hmm. know, and I mean, technically you could say it could be there innocently because she lives with, you know, Nathan and she goes over to the house, but it's just weird. There was also CCTV footage that they went together before the murder to buy batteries for the taser. Weird. After the murder, CCTV footage of them going to a store together to buy tons of cleaning supplies, which, like I said, if you look at the state of their house, it hasn't seen a Clorox wipe in but years. But the thing is, they went to the house together. They were at the house. Exactly. So it puts her at the crime scene. How do you explain that? And she's trying to say that he was, um, he told her that the toilet in that bathroom was clogged. So she just didn't go into that toilet. And they actually turned on the power saw in front of the jury and it's fucking loud. So they're like, okay, explain this. And she said, oh, I thought he was doing like handiwork. 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 Like I was so oblivious. You're either the dumbest person in the history of the world or you're guilty, lady. Like that's it. You know, I just... (laughs) And I think I'm more angry because of her just nonchalant attitude to everything. Mm. If she was genuinely like, oh my God, like I am traumatized because this is the person that I was dating. Like what? Then maybe I could be like, oh shit, maybe she didn't know. But she was just like, no. Yeah. She thinks everyone else is an idiot. Yeah. She's like, no, for sure. Like what? No. So her interview with the police, I mean, they played it in court and she kept telling them that Becky is disrespectful towards Angie and she uses her struggle with anorexia to manipulate people. And she said that it's more of an attention thing than a true eating disorder. So constantly there was a ton of talk about this couple claiming that Becky is faking her eating disorder, which doesn't make sense. I just don't understand even why that's like a big thing in their mind. Like, okay, let's say you're such an ignorant piece of poo-poo that you genuinely think that. Why does it really bother you? No, like it, it has nothing to do with you. I just don't understand any of this. And a bunch of witnesses, they talked about, you know, who's the more dominant one. It seemed like, so the whole point to sum it up, Nathan is taking all of the blame, but he's saying it was an accident gone wrong. It wasn't murder. And he's saying Shauna had nothing to do with it. Shauna's saying, oh, well, Nathan did it all. I'm also a victim. And then you have all of their friends and family going up, testifying about who was the more dominant one in the relationship, trying to like kind of pinpoint each other. And there were talks about consenting physical abuse that Shauna liked to be choked and slapped. And, you know, he would like withhold food from her. Which, like, I mean, that's, like, the start of an eating disorder. What the heck? But, like, I guess you don't believe in them. I don't know. She claimed it was all consensual. They also had, like, really intense emotional abuse. But it's hard to say who was the abusive one in this. So get this. She would threaten to leave him with no intention to leave him just to see how he reacts. And he would get so caught up in that emotion, he would sometimes stab himself in the hand with a fork over and over and over again until he started bleeding. And then she would say, okay, fine, I'm not leaving. Or he would like scratch up his face, like begging her not to leave. And it was kind of phrased in a way that, well, see, Sean is being abused. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not saying that either of them were or were not abused. But both of them seem toxic. I can see it on one hand of Shauna being the abuser and like making him go this crazy for her. Like, please don't leave me. But I can also see it the other way of like self-harm to make your partner stay. So it's just weird. And I don't know how to feel about it. But I mean, it's out there. So I wanted to give all the details. And Shauna was just really an asshole the whole time. I mean, she's just sitting there like, well, why did you look up that thing about YouTube? And she said, that was just to cheer him up. He seemed sad that day. So it was just a coincidence that Becky was lying dead in the bathtub a few feet away. Yes. 
It might seem slightly unlikely to people, but it's completely plausible. I think she's telling the truth that, yeah, I know that he killed her, but I also want to cheer him up by playing this goofy song. That's really uh, sick. No? Yeah. And then, oh God, if that's true, that's so sick. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm just trying to cheer, cheer him up. Like, ha ha how ironic. Look at this song. Yeah. And so they're like, you thought you could get away with it, didn't you? I didn't have anything to get away with. But in the end, there was just too many bits of evidence against you. No. So are you just really unlucky? Yeah. Like, can you imagine your... T- <laughs> so, I mean, it just... By the two testimonies in court, it just seems like she was the more mature one. Just very put together. Like, no. Yeah. Like, never slipped once. The DA described her. Be like an innocent flower, but a serpent underneath. That's that's like a famous quote that they kept putting on her. That she so- seems... Is that is that a good tactic in court? Yeah, it is. Like not, yeah. But doesn't that make the judge or or jury the jury hate you more? Even if when there's so much evidence pointing at you, versus if she's more vulnerable and more like right? I really yeah. don't know. But right now she's playing, you know, like mm-hmm. really put together, really weird. Yeah, I, right. It doesn't make me like her. It doesn't want to <laughs> make me say, oh, she's gotta be innocent yeah it's weird so i don't know but we'll see what the verdict so they also recovered a bunch of deleted text messages from the couple's phones and i think this is where the sexual motive came about they talked in graphic detail about how they wanted to kidnap 16 year old girls from the supermarket three months before becky was killed nathan kept texting shauna asking her to bring back two pretty schoolgirls. But they haven't done it yet, right? No. So Shauna would go to the store and text him. I just went to the store. I I saw a pretty petite girl. They were really into like petite young girls. Almost knocked her out to bring her home. And he texted her, don't you almost me. Now do it, bitch. XOXO, like love you, love you. And then she was like, haha, yeah, I'll just go back in time when I saw her. And then time travel her to our attic. LOL, XOXO. This is like the other serial killer couple, yeah. right? So alarming. And then they talked a lot about kidnapping a young girl who was underage, petite, and keeping keeping her in their attic like a personal sex slave. They even started scouting girls on Facebook and he would say, ooh, I really like her. And he would try to like message her being like genuinely trying to like kidnap her, it seemed like, but like, hey. Now, on Nathan's computer, they also found that he had consumed porn on an almost daily basis. And it was always um like rape fantasies or young girl fantasies so the the kind of genre of porn where you have a lot of obviously 18 or plus actors and actresses who are kind of pretending to be underage they're wearing schoolgirl outfits they're acting like they're you know 14 15 16 and um just that kind of stuff that was like his whole thing he also had a downloaded film of a teenager being raped and I don't know if this was a snuff film, but it was like, if it wasn't, it's a really intense genre of porn. The girl, she was handcuffed and the rapist or the actor came up behind her, kind of like held her face down and just slapped her all over the face nonstop. And I think what really bothered a lot of people, including Angie, was just the very similar injuries to Becky. She was handcuffed. You know, there was suffocation on the face and he kept punching her and slapping her on the face. Mm. It was just kind of sick and twisted. Did I mean, show all of that. Yeah, it was just weird. 
and I mean, the whole time Angie was so disgusted, she was just like, who even are these people? Like, I don't I don't even know them. So Carl Demetrius and Jadine Parsons, they pled guilty of assisting an offender. So they got 16 months to two years imprisonment. Carl Demetrius's shed is where the body was located. And Donovan Demetrius and James Ireland, they also helped put the boxes in the shed. But they claimed that they had no idea it was a body. And it seemed like the jury believed them because they they were found not guilty. And now it was time for the verdict of Nathan and Shauna. Nathan and Shauna were both found guilty for conspiracy to kidnap. Nathan was found guilty of the murder of Becky Watts. Shauna was found not guilty on the murder of Becky Watts, but she was found guilty of manslaughter. What? Yeah. How did she get away? I don't know. I guess when Nathan is just straight up saying it was me, it was me, and then they don't really have crazy evidence other than, I don't know why, honestly. I don't really like her. (laughs) Is the dad okay with that? I mean, he was not really, but what can he do? So time for sentencing. And Nathan was hoping that he wouldn't get life, you know? He just wanted to get, um, like, he could get released on parole. And his attorney was, did you know that only eight people in this category of life with no parole they are there's only eight people that are not mass murderers are not serial killers so we can't put him with those eight people i mean that's crazy so nathan was sentenced to life with the parole in 33 years he's 28 years now he will be at least 61 years old before he's even considered for parole and the reality is he might not even get out on parole he may never get out he may get denied every single time Shauna was sentenced to 17 years, but technically she could potentially serve just half of her sentence, which means that she could be out by the time that she's 30 because she was only 21 at the time. And so the judge tried to pay tribute to the family and they acknowledged that there is a lot of frustration in the community and the family is, you know, especially because we don't really know what happened to Becky. We don't know really what the motive was. We mm-hmm. don't really know. if they, We don't think that they were trying to kidnap her to teach her a lesson, maybe kidnap her to take her to the attic. I don't know. Right. But he was saying that wow like good on you for being so dignified in the way that the family has conducted themselves throughout these hearings hearing the evidence has been so painful for just anyone but it has been an immense pain for the family and he immediately ran out of the courtroom and everyone was like shocked but the people who knew the judge said that this is very unlike him but he did have two daughters that were around becky's age so the trial has been really hard just for everyone involved like he ran out so he could ball his eyes out essentially Like the judge couldn't keep it together to tell the family at the end how he felt. Now, in this book at the end, Angie had a segment, an afterword by Angie. And I mean, I just like lost it. She was talking about how a lot of people can't believe that her and her husband are still together. And this experience has really tested them beyond relief. But she thinks that the reason that they're so strong together is simply because they have to be. They only really have each other. Nobody else could really understand the hurt or the confusion or really the betrayal that they've suffered. And about Nathan, she says that, of course, I still love him. He is my son. When you're a mother, you just can't really ignore that unconditional love for your children, no matter what they do. But I will never, ever forgive him for what he did to our family. With one brutal and inconceivable act, he destroyed the many years of guidance, support and nourishment we worked so hard to provide. He revealed a side of himself that I never knew was there. The boy that I gave birth to grew up to be a monster, and that's that's very difficult to come to terms with. I find myself worrying about how he is coping in prison, yet at the same time, knowing that he is completely deserving to be in there. 
and it is agonizing. My main question to Nathan is, why? Why take another person's life for no good reason than irritation with her for behaving like any teenager? Nathan was the same at her age, but never once did I think he deserved to die because of it. She says that one day she wants to have the strength to go see him in prison and ask him these questions. But she doesn't know if she can. And in June of 2016, they tried to appeal, but the court was like, mm, no. And that is the story of Becky Watts. I mean, I've known this story for like years now. I want to say like maybe last year was when I first heard about it. And I decided to read this book and it just obliterated my heart and I have no other words. Sorry. <laughs> Please go read this book. There's but so the motive many, though, I still... My opinion doesn't matter and it's just my opinion and I have no personal connection to the case, nor do I know anything more than what's out there on the internet. And I don't think I know even everything on the internet, you know? But my only opinion is... I think people like this, people who are violent, who are sexually motivated in really perverse ways. I think when he meant like, I'm going to teach her a lesson uh, for some reason, that sounds so much like a creepy, twisted rapist to me, mm, like teaching yeah. a woman a lesson. Oh, she just wants attention. Oh, she's doing this for attention. She's faking it. This sounds like crazy just like misogynistic rapist power tripping talk to me like all of it gave me like oh my god like raper vibes mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah. so i don't know if he want. i felt like he maybe wanted to kidnap her but not to teach her a lesson mm -hmm. in like the woods and say be nice to my mom like not like that and i'm feeling like this this could be something greater but they could be like continue on with their killing if this yeah. wasn't that's what he said in the book. He said this is just like Fred and Rosemary West. Who said that? Darren. Because oh, yeah. he's from the UK. And that was like a famous UK case yeah. that we also covered. Because also, Fred admitted to everything. And um, Rosemary, she was just like, I didn't do. No. It was all him. I also see like, uh, well, don't want to compare. But it's always like um, when two evil people meet. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like just the amount of damage from just one relationship is so scary sometimes. Like when these couples get together it's just like i don't think there's anything anyone can do to prevent them from just destroying things so that is the story of becky watts please let me know what are your thoughts i know this one was like a little bit more emotional and just was a lot please go read the book and i hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast and i'll see you guys for the mini sode bye